From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing. Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Thursday, August 10th, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, China's issued a blue alert for Typhoon Kunun, uh, and with northern and northeastern regions expecting gales and heavy rain. Uh, Beijing says a new U.S. ban on tech investment in China amounts to economic coercion and technological bullying. And part of a dam at a power plant in Norway has collapsed following storms and flooding. In business, China's sales of new energy vehicles were booming in July. In sports, Shanghai Port maintains its commanding lead uh, of the Chinese Super League. And in culture and Entertainment, China's summer box office has reached 15 billion yuan. Now checking the day's top stories. China's National Observatory continues to issue a blue alert for Typhoon Kunun, the sixth typhoon of this year. Kunun's expected to bring gales and heavy rain on the country's northern and northeastern provinces. The National Meteorological Center says strong winds are expected in some areas of the Bohai Sea, the Yellow Sea, and the East Sea, as well as coastal waters off the Liaodong Peninsula. The center has urged local authorities to prepare a typhoon emergency response and uh, remain on high alert for possible floods and geological disasters. Shangzhou in northeast China has decided to suspend work and production in preparation for Typhoon Kunun. Public transportation, businesses, and schools will all come to a halt from Thursday to Saturday. Essential public services will continue to function in the city in Heilongjiang province. Kunun's expected to traverse the city on Thursday, bringing heavy rainfall and strong winds. The city already experienced torrential rains triggered by Typhoon Doksuri earlier this month. Beijing's Muntoko district, which was hit hard by the recent rains and floods, is now recovering. Gao Junya has more on what's happening on the ground. It's been over 10 days since the rare downpour battered Beijing and its surrounding areas. 
Batting Shuiyu Zui, a mountainous village in West Beijing's Mentougou district, everything looks like the disaster has just ended. Fallen trees, washed-out walls, piles of mud, and higher-than-normal water levels in the Yongjing River reminds everyone of the severity of the floods. A local resident says the rains were unprecedented. I'm 58 years old. I've never seen such heavy rains in my life. Even people in their 90s have never seen such heavy rains before. Yes, occasionally there were some big rains, but not as big as this one. Beijing authorities say the rains were the heaviest since records began 140 years ago. Beijing Vice Mayor Xia Lingmao. From According to meteorological data, precipitation at a single observatory has surpassed historical records. Notably, Wang Jiayuan Reservoir in Changping District received a staggering 745 millimeters of rainfall. This marked the highest recorded figure since the city commenced instrumental rain measurement. The thick dirt on the road is indicating the floods were serious. The accumulated mud washed up by the floods in the center of Shuiyuzui Village tells the same story. Rescue and reconstruction have intensified. Heavy machines such as excavators are removing the sludge. Bulldozers are dredging the Yongjing River. Locals are busy clearing mud and debris from their houses. Local authorities in Beijing have set up a recovery timeline. Here's the Beijing vice mayor again. The overall plan is to achieve a basic recovery within a year, improvement within three years, and sustainable long-term development. Specifically, we aim to tackle challenges over about a year: repairing water-related facilities, repairing damaged houses, and enhancing the building of public facilities. In the year ahead, we hope to restore our support capability to pre-disaster levels. And to ensure people's livelihoods are secured, the floods affected nearly 1.3 million people in Beijing. Among them, 33 have died so far. In Mentougou alone, 77 percent of its 330,000 residents were affected. For the Beijing Hour, I'm Gao Junya, reporting from Mentougou, Beijing. Restoration of public facilities in Hebei is making progress following the receding of floodwaters. Party Secretary Zhang Qiwei in Weijingo says crews have repaired local roads destroyed by mountain torrents. Now a ditch in the south has been dredged through which the villagers can go to their farmland. The restoration of other facilities is underway. The traffic in our village has been basically restored now. Over 2,000 road sections cut off by floods have reopened the traffic, accounting for nearly 90% of the damaged roads in the province. More than 100 armed police officers are helping to clear mud and debris in a local high school in Zhuazhou, one of the worst hit areas. Over 100 teachers also joined the restoration effort to ensure that students can return to a clean and safe campus when the autumn semester starts next month. A power supply in the city and over 90 villages has been restored. Rush repairs in the The rest of the affected villages are underway. Coming up, China says a U.S. ban on tech investment will disrupt global supply chains. Zhuzhou, a city nestled at a confluence of multiple rivers, 
has become one of the most severely flooded cities in the past two weeks. The deluge, equivalent to the force of seven Yellow River's main streams, raged into the northern Chinese city during the peak of the recent flooding caused by Typhoon Duxury. To understand the ongoing efforts of post-disaster relief in Zhuozhou, and uncover why the losses were worse than expected, join us in this week's episode of Deep Dive. Available on all major podcast platforms, just search for Deep Dive. At seven minutes past the hour, China has called a new U.S. ban on tech investment, economic coercion, and technological bullying. The foreign ministry says the U.S. act damages the international trade order and disrupts global supply chains. The ministry urges the United States to create a sound environment for China-U.S. economic and trade cooperation. China's Commerce Ministry has also slammed the U.S. ban, saying the restrictions in active decoupling and cutting supply chains under the excuse of de-risking. Wang Suwan reports. China has slammed the U.S. president's action to issue executive order, which will restrict some U.S. investments in China in the future. And China's Ministry of Commerce said on Thursday that China is gravely concerned about the U.S. issuing order of foreign investment reviews and the reserves' right to take countermeasures. It went on to say that China hopes the U.S. will respect the laws of the market economy and the principle of fair competition. But the spokesman for the Chinese embassy in Washington, uh, Liu Pengyu, said China is very disappointed by the move, which seriously undermines the interests of both Chinese and American companies and investors. He added that China will closely follow the situation and firmly safeguard its rights and interests. China's foreign ministry also responded, saying that China is strongly dissatisfied with and firmly opposed to the U.S. insistence on introducing restrictions on the investment in China. It says China has lodged stern representations with the U.S. side. That was Wang Soen reporting. U.S. President Joe Biden earlier signed an executive order to ban certain U.S. investments in Chinese entities in semiconductors, microelectronics, quantum information technologies, and some artificial intelligence systems. With more, Pan Dung spoke to Professor John Gong with the University of International Business and Economics in Israel. What's your reading into the Chinese reaction? Especially, China will take countermeasures. What kind of countermeasures you are expecting? Well, one thing uh, that I think is quite interesting, and it's also quite bizarre in my view, is the description of these technologies. I mean, the title of the White House order, executive order, is called National Security Technologies and Products. If there's anything called National Security Technologies and Products at all in this world, I mean, if you look at these things, AI technologies, quantum technologies, and semiconductors, they're mostly used in vast a range of uh, civilian applications. These are the foundation for the technology development in all kinds of areas in our economy. So I think you know the labeling of this thing as national security is very bizarre in my view, and also runs contrary every bit of the American ideal of an open and free society and open and free economy. I think you know this is a very very much a disappointment. But however, having said that, I think the details of this executive order will have to be wait to be you know seen in the future. This is really in order to the、uh, Treasury Department to come up. With concrete regulations regarding this matter, what are these concrete regulations? We don't know yet. We have to wait until towards the end of the year, and also for public opinions in terms of commenting this exactly、uh, the regulations coming from the Treasury Department. Now, it's also reported actually very interestingly that during the White House internal discussion, the Treasury Department, Commerce Department, are on the opposing side, whereas the National Security Council and the Defense Department are for it. Of course, now it's asking the party that's against this idea. 
to implement this idea. So that's that's an interesting thing, and we have to see what's going to happen next. Well, do you think it will be interesting for U.S. business uh, leaders in the near future? Because I believe you vividly recall that in the first half of this year, many U.S. business leaders, some of the big tech companies in the U.S., visited China and showed their confidence in future of the Chinese market and its potential. Now, do you think the latest Biden administration's move is kind of a coercion? To those business people, yeah.、Um, well, there will be a phase for asking for public feedbacks and opinions. I'm I'm pretty sure the VC communities in the United States、uh, will stand up and you know comment on this thing. I mean, this is the community that benefited in the past immensely from the investment in China. I mean, so many billionaires are made out of investing billions of dollars into Chinese high tech industries, and they of course withdraw money from this.、Uh, so I'm pretty sure they will be opposed to that and op-、uh, voicing opinions of this. I think you know. We've already seen, you know, American、uh, corporate executives in the high tech sector, like you know,、uh, CEOs from、uh, Intel, from, from Qualcomm. They've already went to the White House to express their concerns. So I think, you know, this is really a measure in the short run going to hurt American international interests, American companies' interests, and in the long run, in my view, it would be totally futile. It's not going to slow down China's development of technologies. On the contrary, it's only going to provide more impetus, more drive for Chinese companies to develop their own indigenous technologies. That was Professor. Sir John Gong with the University of International Business and Economics in Israel. China's resumed outbound group travel to 138 countries and regions. The Chinese Ministry of Culture and Tourism says the travel destinations include South Korea, Japan, the United States, Germany, and the United Kingdom. Ecuadorian authorities say a suspect in the murder of a presidential candidate has died of his injuries after being arrested. A former lawmaker Fernando Villavicencio was shot dead at a campaign event in Quito. The Ecuadorian president announced three days of national mourning for the death of the candidate. In addition, the government's declared a state of emergency. The election will be held as scheduled on August 20th.、Uh, Nicolas Suarez has more. The country is shocked by the latest violent events. Villavicencio, who was one of the top contenders for the second spot for the upcoming presidential election, was shot killed as he exited one of his political rallies. He was 59 years old, and he was known countrywide for being a avid journalist, a member of the National Assembly, as being president of the National Oversight Committee.、Uh, a few days ago, he had actually reported to press that he was receiving threats from numbers due to his political. Positions during his campaign. The whole country is in shock, and President Guillermo Lasso has stated that the crime will not go unpunished. Nevertheless,、uh, an hour ago, more or less, the main suspect for the attack died during in-government custody after being injured while he was being prosecuted and eventually captured. That was Nicolas Suarez reporting. The UN Assistant Secretary General for Africa is calling for a negotiated solution to end the military conflict in Sudan. Martha Pobi says no parties involved in the clashes have achieved victory since the fighting between the Sudanese armed forces and the Rapid Support forces erupted in April. She says Khartoum remains the epicenter of the conflict, while people of the Darfur region are also facing tremendous suffering. The fighting in Darfur continues to reopen the old wounds of ethnic tension of past conflicts in the region. The brutal violence experienced in El Ganeina and Serba are particular examples of this situation. This is deeply worrying, and could quickly engulf the country in a prolonged ethnic conflict with regional spillovers. 
Idem Osorno is the Director of Operations and Advocacy in the Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs. The UN humanitarian official says millions of people in Sudan remain trapped in a humanitarian calamity that continues to grow. More than 4 million people have now fled their homes, 3.2 million people displaced internally in the country, and close to 900,000 people who have crossed the border into Chad, Egypt, South Sudan, and other countries. Osornu says over 2.9 million people have received humanitarian assistance since the outbreak of the conflict in April. Uh, but she says it only represents a fraction of the 18 million they're trying to reach and that they're facing difficulties in delivering humanitarian aid amid the intense fighting environment. The official also warns that the UN humanitarian response plan for Sudan for this year is only 25% funded. The plan requires 2.6 billion US dollars. William Denslow has more. Fighting broke out in April, and the UN now estimates more than 4 million people in Sudan are now displaced. Addressing members of the Security Council, the UK's UN ambassador said that nearly 25 million people are in need of humanitarian assistance. The people of Sudan have suffered for far too long. Those who have the ability to end this suffering should spare no effort to bring an end to the conflict. Fighting around the capital of Khartoum has intensified in recent days. Sudanese armed forces have reportedly used artillery and airstrikes to gain ground and have been met with strong resistance by the rapid support forces. The UN urges all sides to do more to protect innocent civilians. Saudi Arabia and US-led efforts to achieve a lasting ceasefire have stalled. China has called on regional and international powers to do more to help facilitate a peaceful settlement. China expects regional countries and organizations to strengthen their coordination with the parties in Sudan and to play a key role in facilitating peace talks. The international community and partners outside the region should provide the necessary support and cooperation. It's been over 100 days since fighting broke out in Sudan. UN members are calling on all sides to put down their weapons. That was William Denslow reporting. Some Nigerian people are calling on the economic community of West African states not to enter the conflict in Niger in haste. Their remarks came amid an ECOWAS plan to impose further sanctions on Niger following a military coup. It's not um, a time for us to um, hurriedly go into war with the uh, Niger Republic. Um, it's a time that um, we must explore all diplomatic measures to try and see how the issues can be resolved. Um, even when you go to war, you still need to go to the round table and iron out some of this issue for peace to return to the country. So when people now decide to now take over government, you know, the junta, the juntas in Niger and, every, and, 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 and the rest of it, the citizens of Niger, they love what is happening. So I feel that um, ECOWAS coming in to um, replace um, 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 democracy back in Niger is an, an effort that's not going to make a whole lot of sense. The uh, new military junta in Niger so far rejected international efforts to mediate. It's also holding ousted President Mohamed Bazoum under house arrest. ECOWAS has threatened to use military force if the junta does not reinstate Bazoum. The bloc's members are expected to meet this week in Abuja to discuss the situation. Deji Bedamosi has more. 
Good thing is that uh, the ECOWAS now has been talking more about a negotiated uh, settlement. He's been talking about dialogue. Uh, unfortunately, it appears um, the military junta is not uh, willing to talk to ECOWAS. In fact, uh, it's now emerged that there was going to be a tripartite delegation now to Niger uh, from ECOWAS, the African Union, and the UN as well. And then the junta sent a communication last night that it was not willing to, to meet with that delegation. And so that visit had to be cancelled. Canceled. And uh, so far, the, the junta has made it clear that it is not willing to talk to ECOWAS. It is not willing to talk to any group. In fact, um, you remember the Deputy Secretary of State of uh, the United States of America, Victoria Newland, of course, was in that country uh, a few days ago. Of course, met with some members of the junta, but she couldn't meet with the leader of the junta, General Tiani. So it's a difficult situation. Everyone is waiting to see um, what happens next. Images of um, the former uh, governor of Nigeria. Central Bank deposed EMEA in Nigeria. Now we saw those images of the EMEA meeting with General Tiani. We wouldn't know what was discussed and we wouldn't know uh, at whose instance now Lamido Sanusi, that's the name of the former uh, governor of Nigeria Central Bank, now at whose instance he met with General Tiani. But I think uh, more information uh, will come forward later. But then that meeting by ECOWAS leaders, it's a very crucial meeting. We'll wait and see uh, what uh, next steps now ECOWAS will take. How was Deji Batamosi reporting. Syrian President Bashar al-Assad's denied rumors of an upcoming meeting between him and his Turkish counterpart Recep Tayyip Erdogan. The phrase meeting without conditions means that there's no work agenda. Without work agenda means no preparation. No preparations means no results. Defense and foreign ministers of the two countries have held meetings to restore strained ties. They agreed to set up a roadmap to improve relations back in May. Syria has been maintaining that Turkey must put forward a timetable for the withdrawal of its troops to normalize relations. Syria has improved relations with some countries that had backed opposition fighters after the outbreak of the country's civil war in 2011. The president took part in the Arab League summit in May for the first time in over a decade. One of the priorities in regional talks between some Arab countries and Syria is the drug trade. Now, Syria has been blamed for the flow of drugs into Persian Gulf nations since the civil war began. Bashar al-Assad says the countries creating chaos in Syria should take the responsibility rather than Syria itself. And explosions killed one person, injured 60 others, and left eight missing at an optics and optical electronics factory near Moscow. Emergency services dismissed early reports that the blast could have been caused by a drone attack. In a separate incident, Russia says it shot down two Ukrainian drones near Moscow on uh, Wednesday. Dasha Chernyshova has more. An explosion ripped through an optical device factory in Sergiev Passat, an hour's drive from the capital, Moscow. Officials say the blast originated in the warehouse next door, housing pyrotechnics owned by the Pira Ross company. According to the governor of the Moscow region, Andrei Vorobyov, recovery is underway and dozens of people have required medical assistance. Authorities say the incident is due to a lack of adherence to safety procedures. According to the investigation, 
investigative committee the explosion is not believed to be due to a Ukrainian drone attack. Early on Wednesday, Russia's defense ministry said Kyiv attempted to carry out a terrorist attack against the Russian capital. It reported two drones were destroyed by air defenses. One was shot down near Domodedovo, where one of the country's biggest international airports is located, and another near the Minsk highway, according to Moscow Mayor Sergei Sabanyan. Moscow also says Ukraine attempted to attack a spent nuclear fuel facility at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant with a strike drone. Meanwhile, Russia's defense minister Sergei Shoigu says Moscow will build up its forces at its western borders following Finland's accession to NATO, adding that the collective West is waging a proxy war against Russia. That was Dasha Chernyshova reporting. Officials in France have confirmed 11 deaths following a fire at a holiday home for disabled persons in Winsenheim. Uh, the building was hosting a group of disabled people who were visiting from Nancy. Uh, 17 people evacuated from that vacation home. Officials say the fire was probably caused by a slow-burning flame and it could have taken hours before it engulfed the wooden structure. Uh, the fire department deployed 76 personnel, four fire engines and four ambulances to contain that blaze and treat the victim. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up, a dam in Norway's partially collapsed following recent storms and flooding. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour brings you an hour of comprehensive news and information from both China, China and the rest of the world. Rest of the world. A mix of news, sports and entertainment. In-depth analysis of the day's big stories, as well as the most comprehensive business of the day. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. Your very own window to China and the rest of the world. 23 minutes past the hour. A dam at a power plant in Norway has partially collapsed after extensive flooding caused by storm hands. Uh, the dam and power plant spans the Gloma, the longest river in the Nordic country. Its floodgates failed to operate properly amid an unexpected deluge caused by a technical malfunction. Uh, police have evacuated dozens of nearby households as the river's water levels continue to rise. Aviation restrictions are also in place uh, around that power plant. Justice Minister Emil Mel says they'll continue to work on preparedness for extreme weather events in the years to come. We have good basic preparedness in Norway. At the same time, we know that we may experience extreme weather, more storms and more unpredictable weather in the coming years. For the government, it's been important to work on strengthening preparedness in the almost two years we've been in power. She also announced the government will deploy more helicopters to assist with evacuations in storm-hit regions. Storm Hans has been battering Norway since Monday, resulting in over 4,000 reports of damage. Many roads have become inaccessible due to flooding and landslides, which also caused evacuations in cities like Lillstrom and Viken. Officials estimate about 88 million U.S. dollars in damages. Spain's third heat wave of the summer has reached its peak, with temperatures surpassing 40 degrees Celsius in the country's central and southern regions. The mercury hit over 41 degrees Celsius in Toledo. Authorities have warned of wildfires and so-called dry storms. Uh, there's been thunder and lightning without rainfall in many parts of the country. Southern European countries have been grappling with record-breaking temperatures that pose a risk to the elderly and those with medical conditions.
Chile is experiencing rather unprecedented heat waves during what should be the middle of winter in the southern hemisphere. Winter temperatures in Santiago have exceeded 30 degrees Celsius. Temperatures in the Chilean capital rarely surpass 15 degrees in winter. Many residents say the difference is striking and some have started wearing shorts. Just look at the mountain from afar and you can tell the difference. This time of previous years, there will be a lot of snow on the mountains, but now there is none because it's too hot. You can see what I'm wearing. It wouldn't be possible to dress like this at this time of year. It makes people sweating a lot. The weather is much hotter than it used to be. It is not so cold now, and I didn't see as much snow. The heats also resulted in a hit to the ski tourism industry in Chile, one of the top ski destinations in the southern hemisphere. Many ski resorts have seen their businesses disrupted because of a lack of snow. Otavio de Oliveira runs uh, uh, Snow Tours Chile and says bookings are down significantly this year. Yeah, normally in uh, good uh, seasons, for example, past than 2019, Normally we have uh, more than 10 vans go, going to the, to the resorts, more than 2,000 people. Now we have uh, 10, 30 people. It's not uh, common to us to uh, have uh, no much people, no much clients here. Ski season in Chile typically runs from June to October. Devastating, hurricane-driven wildfires in Hawaii have killed at least six people. The fires, fueled by Hurricane Dora, are burning on two major islands, including Maui and the Big Island. The wildfires have also devastated the historic town of Lahaina. A traveler Kaylee Douglas from Boston says she could see the fires from her hotel, which was really scary. I mean, just the fact that it was spreading so fast and we didn't really know what was going to happen. And then, of course, like losing your stuff and not really knowing you know, where you're going to go for the night. Luckily, I had someone that I could stay with. Um, if it weren't for them, I don't know where I would have ended up. Um, it's, just, it's just scary to see a big wildfire just kind of coming your way. And it's not something I ever experienced before. At least 20 people have sustained serious injuries and uh, the conditions have uh, displaced thousands of others. Uh, many flights to Maui are canceled and most public schools are closed. Uh, Hawaii has extended an emergency proclamation to all counties in the state. We're at 28 minutes past the hour. Uh, checking the forecast before the break and uh, Beijing's at 23 degrees overnight. Friday we'll see a, a slight rainfall and 31. Chongqing's at 30 this evening, then cloudy and 35. Lass is getting showers and 13 overnight. A slight rain and 23 tomorrow. Hong Kong's 28 this evening. It's heavy rainfall and 29 on Friday. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 24 tonight. Slight rain and 30 on Friday. Bangkok's 25 this evening, then a slight rain and 35. In Africa, Nairobi's getting some rain and 20 25 degrees. And finally, to Oceania, Sydney's at 10 this evening, then it's overcast and 19 on Friday. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, China has issued a blue alert for Typhoon Kanun, with northern and northeastern regions expecting gales and heavy rain. Beijing says a new U.S. ban on tech investment in China amounts to economic coercion and technological bullying. And parts of a dam and a power plant in Norway have collapsed following storms and flooding. Shane Begum with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. 
This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Bigham with you on this Thursday. Still to come, in business, China's sales of new energy vehicles were booming in July. In sports, Shanghai Port maintains its commanding lead at the top of the Chinese Super League. In culture and entertainment, China's summer box office has reached 15 billion yuan already. Uh, to contact us, you can email uh, audio newsroom at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. Now, a check of the day's headline news. Well, China's called a, a new U.S. ban on tech investment, economic coercion, and technological bullying. U.S. President Joe Biden earlier signed an executive order to ban U.S. investment in certain Chinese entities and semiconductors, microelectronics, quantum information technologies, and some artificial intelligence systems. The Chinese Foreign Ministry says the U.S. Act damages the international trade order and disrupts global supply chains. Uh, the ministry urges the United States to create a good and, and sound environment for bilateral economic and trade cooperation. China's Commerce Ministry has also slammed the U.S. ban, saying the restrictions an act of decoupling and cutting out supply chains under the excuse of de-risking. China's resumed group tours to dozens more overseas destinations, including Japan, Britain, the United States, and Australia. The Ministry of Culture and Tourism says travel agencies and online tourism service providers in China can resume offering uh, the tours starting on Thursday. China's outbound group travel market halted in early 2020 due to the COVID-19 pandemic. As the country has optimized its response, the government's taken measures to lift restrictions on people's overseas trips and promote cross-border personnel exchanges. Typhoon Canoons made landfall in South Korea, bringing strong rains and wind to the southeast coast. Officials have moved thousands of people to safety and canceled flights and high-speed trains. South Korea is still recovering from intense monsoon rains last month when more than 40 people were killed in floods and landslides. The UN Assistant Secretary General for Africa is calling for a negotiated solution to end the military conflict in Sudan. Martha Pobi says no parties involved in the clashes have achieved victory since the fighting between the Sudanese armed forces and the rapid support forces erupted in April. She says Khartoum remains uh, an epicenter of the conflict, uh, while people of the Darfur region are also facing tremendous suffering. The fighting in Darfur continues to reopen the old wounds of ethnic tension of past conflicts in the region. The brutal violence experienced in El Ganeina and Serba are particular examples of this situation. This is deeply worrying and could quickly engulf the country in a prolonged ethnic conflict with regional spillovers. Adem Mosornu is the Director of Operations and Advocacy in the Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs, and the UN humanitarian official says millions of people in Sudan remain trapped in a humanitarian calamity that continues to grow. More than 4 million people have now fled their homes. 3.2 million people displaced internally in the country, and close to 900,000 people who have crossed the border into Chad Egypt, South Sudan, 
and other countries. Lasornu says over 2.9 million people have received humanitarian assistance since the outbreak of the conflict in April. But she says that only represents a fraction of the 18 million they're trying to reach and that they're facing difficulties in delivering humanitarian aid amid the intense fighting environment. The official also warns that the UN Humanitarian Response Plan for Sudan for this year is only 25% funded. The plan requires 2.6 billion U.S. dollars. Niger's coup leaders have named a new government on state television. The country's military chiefs earlier defied an ultimatum to restore elected President Mohamed Bazoum after removing him from power two weeks ago. Officials of the Economic Community of West African States are meeting in Nigeria's capital for an emergency summit over the crisis. The 15-nation bloc said important discussions are expected from the gathering, including on the use of force to restore Bazoum. Syrian President Bashar al-Assad's denied rumors of an upcoming meeting between him and his Turkish counterpart Recep Tayyip Erdogan. The phrase meeting without conditions means that there's no work agenda. Without work agenda means no preparation. No preparations means no results. A defense and foreign ministers of the two countries have held meetings to restore strained ties. Uh, they agreed to set up a roadmap to improve relations in May. Uh, Syria has uh, been maintaining that Turkey must put forward a timetable for the withdrawal of its troops to normalize relations. Syria's improved relations with some countries that had backed opposition fighters after the outbreak of the country's civil war in 2011. The president took part in the Arab League summit in May for the first time in in over a decade. A British Airways Concorde supersonic jet that had been parked along the west side of Manhattan has taken a slow boat to Brooklyn for restoration uh, that'll take a few months. The historic jet's been at the Intrepid Sea, Air and Space Museum in New York since it retired from commercial air travel in 2003. Senior Vice President of Operations Matthew Woods at the museum says the plane will undergo meticulous treatment. Well, it needs to be repainted, number one. Number two is we got to rebuild the pier that was sitting next to it, and that the project's going to start in the next couple of weeks. Uh, the Concorde's the only supersonic commercial jet that ever flew. It holds the record for the fastest transatlantic crossing by a passenger aircraft, spending two hours and 53 minutes from Heathrow to John F. Kennedy International Airport. And that's your headline news update. This is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, China's sales of new energy vehicles were booming in July. Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get an hour wavelength every week to find out what's real with China-Africa talk. Find us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, and more. We'll see you there. 38 past the hour. Turning to business now and stock markets on the Chinese mainland finish higher on Thursday. Timothy Pope has more. It was a choppy session for Chinese A-shares today following uh, the White House's announcement of uh, a ban on U.S. companies investing in uh, certain kinds of technology in China. Now, that left uh, the benchmark indexes 
trading lower at lunchtime. But they came back by the end of the session and uh, the Shanghai Composite Index closed a third of 1% higher. We had uh, fossil fuel energy companies uh, being the biggest contributors to gains today after crude oil prices jumped. Uh, we had Brent crude up about 26 cents to its highest since late January and West Texas Intermediate hasn't been as high as it, as it is at the moment since uh, November of last year. PetroChina shares uh, rose 1.5%. We had uh, other gains too for Sinopec and uh, offshore oil engineering was up around 2%. There were gains as well for uh, some of the big name uh, Chinese coal producers too, China Shenhua Energy and Yenquang Energy too. Uh, there was also some uh, fairly good news for the travel industry as China's Ministry of Culture and Tourism lifted uh, some pandemic-era travel restrictions on group tours to a batch of countries. Uh, some of them have historically been very popular with Chinese tourists, including uh, the UK, Australia and South Korea. Uh, this is the third batch of uh, countries to be re-approved for Chinese group tours. The first two batches uh, were approved uh, in January and March and uh, covered a combined six. 60 countries. Uh, Chinese airlines shares really gained ground after this announcement. Air China uh, was up almost 5% and Spring Airlines uh, was up 6.5%. That was market analyst Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index closed flat. In Japan, the Nikkei was up over 8 tenths of a percent. Official data shows that annual retail sales of new energy vehicles in China jumped nearly 32% in July. According to the China Passenger Car Association, more than 641,000 NEVs sold in the country last month. China's new energy vehicle market continued to see substantial expansion as the retail sales of NEVs rose more than 36% to surpass 3.7 million units since the beginning of the year. Retail sales of passenger vehicles reached nearly 1.8 million units last month, marking the second highest level in history. Official data shows that China's imports and exports along the Belt and Road saw nearly double-digit growth in the first half of the year. Uh, the growth contributed to more than 30% of the overall imports and exports. Uh, Juju went to Dunhuang, Gansu province, to take a closer look at the uh, innovative strategies that enabled Chinese companies to expand their exports. After going through an all-round disinfection, here we are at a red date producer in Dunhuang, Gansu province. Red dates in Dunhuang are famous for their big, plump size and... It's really sweet. They are very welcomed in countries along the Belt and Road. We exported over 1,600 tons of red dates to Vietnam this year, about 500 tons more compared last year. However, exporting these red dates was not easy. Before the Dunhuang Airport Customs was established, we had to ship our samples to Jiuquan in Gansu province for inspection, which is about 700 kilometers away. After that, we have to visit the capital city Lanzhou to obtain the export qualification. After the local customs was set up in 2019, new ways have emerged to increase export efficiency. They designed a new procedure and even came right to our factory to pick up the product samples for inspection. The inspection time was reduced from taking months to only several days. The shorter the transportation time is, the fresher these red days can be. So Mr. Hu told me that the customs has helped them greatly reduce the time of exporting products to those other foreign countries and also created an online inspection system for them. 
All these measures have helped them greatly increase the efficiency of goods clearance. Apart from red dates, grapes from Dunhuang are also popular in countries along the Belt and Road. Dunhuang's unique climate has made grapes here so special. It has very long hours of sunshine. Like during my trip here in Dunhuang, I found that the sky was still a bit bright even until 10 o'clock at night, and the sun rises at about 6.30 in the morning. Plants need photosynthesis because the sun shines for a long time. The grapes taste sweeter and crispier. Li Shihong runs a fruit company in Dunhuang. Nearly 80% of the grapes his company produced are exported to Belt and Road countries, mostly Southeast Asia. He didn't know how to export his products to foreign countries until recent years when local customs came to teach them. From product export policy to which local and foreign companies to cooperate with, the local customers' officials came and taught us the whole procedure. Our local small and medium-sized companies also work together more closely now. Thanks to these efforts, more and more agricultural products from Dunhuang are going international. Data from local customs showed that in the first 10 months of last year, exports of local agricultural specialties such as red dates and grapes have increased nearly 60% compared with that in 2021. They were sold to 18 countries and regions. And that was Juju reporting. The 2023 AI for Science Summit is underway in Beijing. Participants from across the globe will be engaging in deliberations on current developmental priorities and promising prospects, uh, while also sharing progressive concepts and leading-edge perspectives. Since its initial proposal in 2018, the summit's garnered consensus within the academic community, drawing the involvement of preeminent scientific research teams worldwide. The major objectives of the summit are to establish a platform to foster uh, achievements or advancements in scientific research, nurture technological innovation, and facilitate the exchanges of expertise in AI technologies. Official data shows that consumer credit card debt in the United States has reached an all-time high of over a trillion U.S. dollars, uh, marking a 4.6% increase from the previous quarter. Uh, the country's media reported that credit card debt has been rising for five consecutive quarters now, driven by inflation, higher interest rates, and the high cost of living. Ted Rossman's a senior industry analyst at Bankrate.com. Some people say credit cards are like power tools. They could be really useful or they could be dangerous. Many cardholders uh, now have to carry their debt longer, with the average interest rate on new credit cards hitting a fresh record of nearly 21%. Rossman says that uh, a high rate environment uh, isn't the only reason. It's unfortunately very easy to get into credit card debt and hard to get out of it. We found that the primary cause is an unexpected expense some kind of emergency, medical bill, home repair, car repair, or something like that. The second most common answer is day-to-day expenses. Rossman also pointed out that there are ways for Americans with high debt to lower their interest payments if they qualify. The Dalian Costco KHI ship engineering companies delivered a second ultra-large container ship in Dalian, Liaoning province. The new vessel is around 400 meters long, 61 wide, and 75 tall. It can accommodate over 24,100 standard containers. The maximum load capacity of 228,000 tons puts it among the world's largest container ships. The ship also caters to uh, the green, low-carbon, and intelligent development trend in the shipping industry. Uh, the ship will undergo, or rather, will serve routes between uh, Asia and Europe.
You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, Shanghai Port maintains its commanding lead of the Chinese Super League. Something special is happening in Miami. The GOAT Lionel Messi has been scoring goals in bunches since joining MLS side Inter Miami and is attracting a huge local and international audience. Meanwhile, owner David Beckham and his celebrity friends have also added to the intrigue. What impact is celebrity culture and the Messi effect having on this league and team? Do European leagues need to be taking notes from their playbook? Join our discussions this week on the Sideline Story podcast to unpack this trending football topic. We're at 47 past the hour now. Turning to sports, and here is Yang Guang. Thank you, Shane. In the Chinese Super League, Shanghai Shenhua claimed their first victory in four matches, defeating Shenzhen FC 3-0. As a result, Shenhua has returned to second place in the overall standings. The victory still leaves the side 14 points behind runaway leaders Shanghai Ports. Elsewhere, Tianjin Jinmen Tigers and Beijing Guan play to a scoreless tie in Tianjin. The result sees Guan drop to 7th on table while Tianjin remains in 8th. Beijing midfielder Zhang Xijie lamented the lack of chances his side created. Our opponents had more attacks in the first half and we fought back in the second half. Tianjin lose very few matches in the season and we needed to create more chances during the match. Tianjin defender Yu Yang believes that despite the draw, his team performed well. I think it doesn't matter. There are good times, but also bad times. We did not win in recent games, but I still think we performed well, and we never give up, and we will handle the difficulties. Chinese Super League action will resume over the weekend with several matches, including league leaders Shanghai Port playing Zhejiang and Beijing Guan against Nantong Zhiyun. West Ham have an agreement in principle with Manchester United to sign their former captain defender Harry Maguire in a deal worth a reported £30 million. Personal terms are not expected to be a problem, but there is still work to do on the details of his exit from United. West Ham, though, are cautiously optimistic about completing the signing having had a £20 million bid for the England International rejected last month. Maguire has endured tough times at United recently stripped of his captaincy after losing his place in the starting eleven. Reports are emerging that Kylian Mbappe will not be involved in Paris Saint-Germain's league opener against Lorient this weekend. The France national captain could also miss every PSG game in August against Lorient, Toulouse and Lens as punishment for his ongoing contractual dispute with the club's hierarchy. It has been reported that the club president Nasser Al Khelaifi is demanding Mbappe either agree to a new deal beyond June 2024 or accept a departure this summer. But Mbappe wants to leave for free and join La Liga giants Real Madrid when his current contract expires. Mbappe's speculated desire to join Madrid is so great that he allegedly turned down a one-year $775 million salary package to join Saudi club Al-Hilal last month. Wolverhampton have changed its coach just two days from the beginning of the new Premier League season. The Wolves announced Gary O'Neill as their new manager after Yulin Loptegi parted ways with the club due to disagreements on the shortage of new signings. O'Neill is returning to a managerial role after his unexpected departure from Bournemouth this summer. He has inked a three-year contract with the Wonders. 
After two weeks of intense competition at World University Games, the vibrant athletes village at Chengdu University will close its doors on Friday. But the sprawling hub will be transformed into a conventional campus for students. The change is scheduled to be completed before the upcoming September semester. Chen Sunwu spoke to the Chengdu University officials. Opened on July the 22nd, the Athletes' Village at Chengdu University was strategically designed to accommodate and meet the needs of over 7,000 athletes and coaches from around the globe. The village encompasses more than the essential functions of dining, transportation, and lodging. It embodies the significance of cultural exchange and commercial activity. Over the course of two weeks, these events have generated a remarkable revenue of 800,000 U.S. dollars within the village. I'm convinced that the village concept marks the pinnacle of all similar sports-based establishments in China. The repurposing of the athletes' village after the spotlight turned off, including those employed for the Olympics and FIFA games, remains a global challenge for host cities. Experts in China say the Chengdu FIFA games has the potential to set a precedent. For the rest of the world to follow, we ingeniously transformed Chengdu University into an athletes' village without building new buildings. Our approach capitalized on existing dormitories, classrooms, and gymnasiums. All of these spaces can be seamlessly converted for residential and educational purposes well before September arrives. With the conclusion of the Chengdu Fusu Summer World University Games, the curtain falls on the stars of the show. But there are plans for the venues to continue serving the public's sporting needs. That was Chen Shuangwu on the post-games use of the World University Eight Athletes Village. And finally, in tennis, Chinese player Chen Qingwen extended her fine form after winning her first WTA title in Palermo. She beat Marta Kostyuk in three sets to reach the Canadian Open second round. Fellow Chinese player Zhang Shuai suffered her 16th consecutive singles loss after falling to Anna Blinkova in Montreal. Elsewhere, Caroline Wozniacki slipped to her first defeat since coming out of retirement from tennis in a straight set loss to Wimbledon champion Maketa Vondrosova. In men's action, former champion Daniil Medvedev bagged a straight set victory over Matteo Arnold. Yannick Sinner moved past the countryman Matteo Berrettini and next faces Andy Murray. Thank you very much. That was Yang Guang with sports. Coming up in culture and entertainment, China's summer box office has already reached 15 billion yuan. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X Men: Days of Future Past. You are listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, everyone. I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. Fifty-three minutes past the hour. In culture and entertainment, the world's largest film market has earned a record 15 billion yuan this summer, as of Monday evening. The box office keeps surging as many ticket offices report record-breaking sales. According to China's ticket data platform Maoyan, the daily box office during the current summer season exceeded 100 million yuan for 50 consecutive days as of Wednesday afternoon, setting a record for single-day box office sales in Chinese film history. Chinese box office tracker Dongtad Data also shows that 24 million tickets sold over the past weekend, setting the highest weekend sales record since 2020. Renowned film critic Tan Fei says bold innovation and rigorous creation are fueling these record-breaking numbers. 
For centuries, China's major exports to Europe included luxurious silk, along the ancient trading route known as the Silk Road. Over 200 years ago, Britain was a major importer. Its silk industry uh, uh, cantered around the town of uh, Macclesfield, known as uh, then as the silk capital of England. The tradition of silkscreen printing had almost died out in the country, but as Michael Voss reports, Macclesfield is trying to keep the heritage alive with adapting it to uh, modern times. Chinese silk dyed and hand-printed in Macclesfield, a town that was once the largest manufacturer of finished silks in Europe. Adam Lee Textiles is one of the last remaining producers in what became known as the western end of the Silk Road. The company still uses the traditional art of silkscreen printing. It's a slow, costly process aimed at the top end of the luxury goods market, in particular for men's ties. So the connection to China really is that 100% of our silk now comes from the country, uh, from one particular region called Zhejiang. And, and really, um, one of the core kind of pivotal parts of the relationship is because of the quality of silk that comes from those areas. We can't buy better from anywhere else. Back in the mid-1800s, there were 71 factories in Macclesfield, making it the silk capital of England said to be the largest producer of finished silk in the world. The damp climate was perfect for silk production, along with a canal to ship their goods to London. This is still known as Silk Town. It has its own silk museum. And walking around Macclesfield, it's clear they're proud of their heritage. The local radio station is known as Silk FM, while the football team are the Silkmen. And one of the main roads in and out of town is the Silk Road. You can even buy Silk Road tea towels at the local visitor information centre. But it's not all looking back to the past. One creative digital company is working on modern day applications, making the most of the historic silk designs for items such as greeting cards. We realised there was some beautiful old patterns in Macclesfield that are just rotting in cupboards in the old silk museums in the industry and we thought, well, why can't we just bring them back to life? Maybe not as silk, but as other products, wallpapers, pictures, furnishings, other textiles. The silk factory has also embraced modern technology, including a state-of-the-art digital printing machine. But it's the hand-printed silk which remains their core business keeping the Silk Road traditions alive. That was Michael Voss on the silk craftsmanship of Macclesfield, England. A wide variety of events and art shows are set to offer people insights into the ancient Beijing Central Axis during the 2023 Beijing Central Axis International Art Week, scheduled from August 19th to the 27th. There'll be 22 art performances and theaters along the Central Axis, including dramas, dance shows, and uh, folk art programs. Led by sociologists, two city walks along the central axis will be held to take people on a cultural tour of the historic sites. And visitors will be invited to visit the Tianxiao Museum to savor folk performing arts and traditional acrobatic shows. 
Hollywood writers marked a hundred days of striking with contract talks stalled and people on the picket lines protesting what they described as a disregard for their demands. The strike began in May after negotiations between the writers and the major uh, studios reached an impasse over compensation and minimum staff or, or staffing of uh, writers' rooms, among other uh, issues. Writers also sought to regulate the use of artificial intelligence, which they fear could replace their creative input. A meeting last week discussed resuming talks, but it resulted in no firm date for returning to the bargaining table. We're at 58 past the hour now. Beijing's at 23 degrees overnight. Friday, we'll see a slight rainfall with a high of 31 Celsius. Chongqing's at 30 this evening, then cloudy and 35 tomorrow. Last is getting showers and 13 overnight, then a slight rain in 23. Hong Kong's 28 this evening, heavy rainfall and 29 tomorrow. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 24 overnight, a slight rain and 30 on Friday. Bangkok's getting 25 degrees this evening, then a slight rain and 35. In Africa, Nairobi is getting a slight rain and 25 degrees. Finally, to Oceania, Sydney's at 10 this evening, then overcast in 19. Auckland's 5 overnight, then overcast in 13. And that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, China's issued a blue alert for Typhoon Kanun, with northern and northeastern regions expecting gales and heavy rainfall. And parts of a dam at a power plant in Norway have collapsed following storms and flooding. On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together.